Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, um, which is in, of course, my favorite county, Montgomery County. But Pennsylvania's got a bunch more counties, and it's got a bunch of districts, and it is probably, possibly, most likely, um, the most important state once again in the country when it comes to elections than 2022, but it's not in the most important state, of course, as my guest knows. It's the most important commonwealth. And uh, one of the things that is one of the most important elections, not just in PA, but across the country, are state legislative elections. And people don't pay enough attention to these. Um, maybe they will vote one party up high, and they'll be like, oh, I'll throw a bone to the other party down below. And that doesn't always work out for the best, necessarily. Um, so I'm going to learn a little bit about uh, central, more central PA, and why you should be paying to the attention to these districts, and hopefully why you're not going to take any election for granted. My guest today is Dan Almany, and he is running here in Pennsylvania. So Dan, thank you uh, so much for talking today. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, talk to your audience, and you know, just yeah, to express how important these elections are, especially the down ballot. Uh, candidates this year. Um, it's something we really haven't seen been an issue um, in recent times. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch how things unfold on on November eighth. Well, we're not just going to see. We're not passive participants in this. We are active, and you're obviously uh, hopefully have an active campaign. Um, you know, knocking doors, talking to voters, oh, etc. Um, but before you became an active candidate, you paid attention to things. Have, I always ask my guests, um, have you always been very um, active and engaged in politics or was there is something that happened that took you from, okay, I'll vote to I'm going to do something more than just vote? Yeah. So basically I've, I've had a lot of news background. Um, I've worked in video for close to 20 years and mm -hmm. for a good bit of that time I was I worked in news promotion, so tangentially not in news, but around news and making, you know, having an idea of what's happening and what issues are going on throughout the legislature. And, you know, kind of sort of swimming in those circles, but not really caring too much or being too much, you know, paying attention all that much. Um, but as we've seen over the last couple election cycles, it's become more and more and more important for people to get engaged. And, um, and that's one of the reasons that I decided to step up and run. Um, and mainly because, you know, for, for me, um, I have a newly crowned teenage daughter, um, here at home. And so my focus has been on her future. Um, making sure that she has good schools and has the reproductive rights that she that you know she's had that women have had in the past generations so and that was something I didn't even know at the time like that's the Dobbs decision kind of changed everything and mm -hmm. just kind of solidified my my opinion that I needed to be in this thing to give neighbors a, a choice and an option here come November. And yeah, like you said, we're an active campaign. We've been out knocking doors, you know, three, four times a week, at least um, sometimes more um, all across the Northern part of York County here. And, and, you know, people have been very receptive to, to some change. And so tell me a little bit about York because I, it seems like York, Lancaster, and a few parts around there, 
um, traditionally very Republican areas. But it seems like maybe because people moving from Philadelphia to Chester and then beyond, um, or people coming even from Maryland, uh, or just the kinds of people that were there already in the Republican Party changed, um, it seems like the, the trends are a little bit different there than they've been the past few years. Um, are, are the things changing in York, PA? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty new at this. I wasn't anticipating being a politician, but I've heard as long as you're running, you are a politician. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, we, I definitely do think that the, there is a Republican stronghold uh, in our area. We have seen some neighboring uh, districts uh, trend more uh, blue. Mm-hmm and more democratic and we have certainly the city uh of york itself is a prime democratic hub i'm kind of sandwiched in between york and harrisburg so harrisburg is obviously a very democratic area and york city is very democratic and then you have these branches of red kind of in the middle there um but we are seeing some more demographics the there i've been working with the northern york democratic club a lot um, they have been super supportive of our, of our campaign, and they've been act active for several years now and just making really good inroads here in the northern part of the county. We've had, um, we had like the highest turnout percentage in this past primary um, that just about, uh, that they've just about ever seen uh, in the northern part here, and that's a big credit to, to what that group is doing, um, especially considering we didn't really have much at stake on the primary ballot. We knew Josh Shapiro was going to run. We knew, um, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, of a con contested Senate primary. But overall, the, the stakes weren't as high for Democrats as they were for Republicans in, in, during the primary season. Yeah, and, you know, we saw in 2018, especially I think around then, um, a lot of these districts... Uh, flip a little bit or like maybe the trend's going a different way or some energy at a local level. You mentioned a uh, York Democratic Club. Uh, you know, the, the state party, I don't really have an opinion much either way. I, I don't get involved in those things as much, but maybe kind of wrote off. And so we got to win in the Philly suburbs and Philadelphia and some of these cities. And it seems like a lot of these local clubs are really taking up some of that energy. Um, have you seen that? What's going on with kind of like the local organizing, especially in central PA, which I think is doing it differently than most parts of Pennsylvania? Yeah, I think it depends on kind of where you are. We are a very, you know, hodgepodge of areas. There's parts of Cumberland County that are, that are turning very blue um, as that is a continuing growth up in that area. Uh, we're seeing an influx from Maryland on the southern end of the county. Um, and then, you know, certainly we have suburban people here um, in our area that are, you know, can lean more to the Democratic side. It's just about what I've really found going out is re it's really about educating people and making sure they know who's representing them, as you mentioned kind of in the, in the opening to this. So just to make sure people are aware and to make sure that they have know what's at stake uh, in these smaller races that don't get uh, all the attention, you know, from, you know, we know Josh Shapiro. That's what I, in fact, that's kind of what I say when I go up to the door. I was like, well, you've probably seen Josh Shapiro and John Fetterman, 
but I'm here to talk about, you know, Shemaine Daniels and myself, mm-hmm. and what we're going to do, um, you know, in, in our races. Yeah. And if people are listening, I recommend going back to the archives of this podcast. I did talk to Shemaine um, a while ago before she announced she was running for Congress here for her other work. And also Jess King, who ran in that area uh, in 2018 and ran an impressive campaign that got some of that local organizing. But like you said, people don't pay attention to the legislative races. What what do you think are people missing? What what do people not realize enough about what's going on in the legislature or the power of the legislature? Well, yeah, I think it, you know that's I've really had my eyes open because I couldn't believe that the way that things have been gerrymandered so much that it was virtually impossible for anybody but a Republican to win and hold control uh, for almost 30 years, you know, a whole generation of, of Republican control. And then you see, you ask, uh, you know, why, and then people ask, well, why are my property taxes going up? Well, why do our roads stink? You know, why, why are bridges falling down? And it's like, well, you know, why are schools, you know, cutting programs? It's because they're not, Republicans haven't been funding them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's where all the money flows through, you know, and, and just realizing, you know, that's how things operate the, and realizing, you know, kind of what powers the governor has versus what the legislature can do and how those kind of interact, you know, has been a really uh, eye opening situation. And, you know, the past few years here in Pennsylvania, past almost eight years, we had a Democratic governor and Republican legislature, and um, after 2010, or 2010 or 20, in there, the legislative um, districts became more gerrymandered than they ever been before. Um, right. That that is more competitive now than before. Um, but you know that that kind of puts into perspective. Like people seem to think, oh well, we'll have a one party at the top as a governor, and then we'll have a check on that party at the bottom. Um, but what, what do you think we need to do to change that? Why is it important that we have a change in the legislature um, after 2022? What, what do you think would be accomplished by doing that? Well, you know, I've seen a, a few different things that would benefit and some proposals, you know, things like it would be nice. One thing that I would advocate for is having ever, giving every legislature an opportunity to bring a bill to the floor. Like we have so many things and ideas that just die in committee because they won't pass them. Things that are very popular and they just don't get a vote on the mm-hmm. house floor. So why, you know, if we're electing people to represent us and bring our concerns in front of the front of the state, you know, we individuals know what's best for their area. So let's, you know, if there's a problem that needs to be fixed locally, that should have an opportunity to get a vote no matter what, you know, committee it may end up in. You know, my state senator, Amanda Capaletti, brought up that up as well, and she'll talk about rules reform, and mm-hmm. her staff talks about it a lot. It's not the uh, most exciting issue to voters, right, but it's important. Um, but my, my question to her was, what's the incentive to see a system that only benefits the incumbents, then become the incumbent party, and then fix it, like, right, because they're benefiting from it, so if you got in power, why wouldn't you just use the same trickery for your own benefit? Well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not one for all of this trickery and political maneuvering. You know, I understand that that happens, but, 
you know, I, I'd like to see things a lot more streamlined mm-hmm. in what, what we can do as a legislature. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of, exp- you know, it's, it's about, it's more about, you know, what, how to best serve the people. Mm-hmm. Really. And that's what it's always been about. We, we're seeing this kind of with the constitutional amendment stuff. There's, you know, they're trying to legislate through a mechanism that wasn't designed for that, you know. So let's, but instead of talking and compromising and putting forth a good bill, you know, they're going to try and people, you know, representatives are trying to circumvent power and gain more power themselves by putting through these constitutional amendments. Yeah, and one thing, um, and I was reading about this yet again today, um, that they will not put a vote on is pre-canvassing of ballots for elections. We have a legislator, and I don't care to name names myself, but um, we know that every county commissioner basically wants to be able to start counting mail-in ballots before election day, even if they're not processing them exactly, but just to speed up the process. And we know part of the reason why Donald Trump in 2020 wanted to not do that was to kind of create an illusion that he won, even though, as we know, he lost Pennsylvania. We, we right. won the election. So, um, but they won't bring it to a vote because they want to add a lot of restrictions to any bill on that. So, you know, what could you do to help uh, with making sure that everyone's able to get vote and that we're able to have some trust in that, that voting process for everybody? Yeah, I think that that's one of the most bizarre things that I just don't understand when you know you have bipartisan support for something and they just won't do it. Like that's not that's not doing your job. That's not serving the people. So that's, you know, that's a big red flag um, for that kind of situation. But I'm a big proponent of both uh, of installing ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. I think we should do everything we can to, to um, have people eligible to vote. It's our one good, you know, granted right as Americans to be able to select who who represents us. And I think we need to make that as easy as possible. I've talked to people that, you know, are pretty much uh, homebound or it's hard for them to stand for hours in line. Like that's one of the reasons mail-in voting is so important because we can't deny people access just because they may have physical limitations. Um, So I, you know, I think we need to open PA primaries. I think mm-hmm. ranked choice voting is a good option. You know, anything that we can do to help instill that, you know, American birthright is is something that should be done. Well, there's a lot of different processes out there for ranked choice and for open primaries, right? Like you have states like Louisiana where um, everyone kind of runs in the primary, depending on, like it's usually an election day, and then the top two. Um, so mm. you could have the the general election, quote unquote, between two Democrats or two Republicans. And then you have what happened in Alaska, which seemed to actually work very seamlessly, all things considered, with the ranked choice voting. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that there would be an appetite to do that in Pennsylvania after talking to the voters in your district? And what do you think the result would be for our governing process? Yeah, I think I think what happens is the re- one of the big benefits of ranked choice voting is it sort of takes away from the we've seen I've that's and that's one of the things that people have told me you know when I go door to door is you know I said 
I, how I explain, I'll say it and I explain to it how it works. And it's like the most hardcore voters tend to vote in the primary mm-hmm. uh, because that's really where you're playing to whatever political basis it is there, left, right, or whatever. And with a ranked choice voting situation, much like in Alaska, you know, you could have candidates that need to play more towards the middle to try to court those extra votes maybe from the other side or to get into that second slot on the ballot. And by doing that, that sort of takes, you know, helps to build a more consensus candidate that can still provide, you know, the, the policies and move forward with things that you're, you know, passionate about as a constituent, but also not, you know, turn out to be an election denier or whatever. Yeah, and we saw, I thought the Alaska process worked out really well, where the Democrat, I mean, obviously as a partisan person myself, and I don't really care so much about being partisan as just, I don't like the policies of the other party, and I like the, like, you know, if a better party came up, that would be fine. Um, but <laughs> but um, the Democrat, Mary Polota, Pol- Pol- I can't remember how to pronounce it. Um, yeah. But she seemed, it also seemed to be a less nasty election because if you're being mean to the other sides and they're not going to write you in as a second choice, and so people didn't write in Sarah Palin for the second shop option, but they did for Mary, and that was kind of how she won, and she, everyone seemed to like her as a result. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, hashtag mean reps suck. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I think, it helps to drive a more, uh, a better political discourse mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, you know, you have to kind of watch what you say a little more and, you know, have, you know, more of more rational stance on some things and understand that, and, you know, being willing to listen. Um, cause I think that's a big problem too, that, you know, some people just dig their heels in and say, this is what I believe and, and not even being list, being able to listen and, and just get in on that, that kind of compromise that, that is supposed to happen in politics. So if you are a Democrat running in a more Republican county district and vice versa, if you're a Republican running a more Democrat district, like yeah. um, you kind of have to appeal to people on the other side of the, so, so you know, my state representative is Tim Briggs. He probably would not be the ideal candidate based on his views, even though I like him a lot, wouldn't be the ideal candidate for that district. What are how what are some of the issues that you find might resonate with voters that might be able to bring you to success that you know from listening in York people care about and might get them to vote? Yeah, I mean, and that's a big, um, you know, it's a big issue because of basically who, where I am and where, and who my, you know, current opponent and representative is, you know, this area, not just my district, but even the surrounding area is ground zero for all of the January 6th stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have, you know, several representatives, in, you know, including my opponent and those right next door that were in on all of all of that and on the Gettysburg hearings, you know, on the Capitol steps on January 5th, right before that happened. And I've talked to independents who were just like, yeah, anybody who was involved in that stop the steal crap is just 
you know, is a, is a non-starter. Um, and then also, like I said, we also have at this point, we have the Dobbs and the abortion rights on the line. And, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, I grew up in the United Methodist church, you know, so I understand some of the religious hesitancies there, but it's also kind of a separation of church and state thing where I, the government shouldn't be the one to be making those personal reproductive mm-hmm. choices. And that you, you think that those issues now, because of the extremism on the other side, there might be an opportunity for a candidate to win that in another year might not have been able to, to win those elections. Absolutely. I think this is the most vulnerable the Republican Party has ever been. Um, and I, and I, I firmly believe that if there's an opportunity to unseat and to really change the dynamic on some of this stuff, it's, this is the year to do it. Well, one thing you and I will both be doing is voting for Josh Shapiro and John Fetterman. I'm not going to hide my, I have my signs <laughs> out, you know, like, it's important to me and, um, and you, we know that the stakes are very high. What do you think that, you know, do you think they're going to be the kind of candidates that can narrow the margins, if not win some precincts in central Pennsylvania that maybe other candidates would struggle with? Yeah, I think, uh, especially John, and that's no disrespect to Josh, um, mm-hmm. but I think John has a little bit more of that rural work ethic kind of working, you know, every man persona, mm-hmm. um, you know, that people connect with. Uh, and like I said, that's not a dish, a dish against Josh Shapiro, who's done wonderful work for the state. You know, I just don't know. You know, you know, you can see I have the long hair and, and all that stuff. I just don't know if that resonates quite as well, um, you know, in my immediate district, but mm-hmm. certainly in those sort, sort of surrounding suburb districts, um, you know, that that are neighborly to us. Yeah, I don't care which precincts either do win or if John Fetterman wins over more by a bigger margin than Josh, as long as they both win... They might yeah. have very different coalitions this year. It might not be that they get the same votes. Well, and that's and that's exactly right. And it's a matter of you know what. One of the things that is really going to be important is that we get help from the top of the ticket to really drive voter turnout. Because I think that's going to be the key to the race. Is if we drive voter turnout, then anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really going to be kind of what I'm looking at come come election day. You know, and we're going to be doing everything we can as far as get out the vote efforts and all that stuff. Um, like I said, and you know, outdoor knocking, but but having it—that's going to be the key uh, indicator come election day—is yeah. is what kind of turnout we we see. Yeah, and as a candidate yourself, in a uphill battle, right? It's a more—it's a you have to beat an incumbent, yep. Uh, yep. and. In theory, it should be a better year for Republicans, or that may be cha- you know, changing based on all these things. Um, you know, what's um, what motivates you? Like, how do you feel yourself? Like, do you feel, um, <laughs> are you getting a good sense? Is it just like, why am I doing this? Or is it kind of invigorating to do the campaigning? Like, how does it make you feel as a person? So if someone else is listening and thinks, I don't think I could run against my person. You know, maybe they'll be inspired to consider themselves. Yeah, you know, I I am inspired because I like to talk to other people. 
and I like to hear their stories. Um, and I think that comes from my background of video storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's you know that's the part that interests me. I like to be the interviewer um, mm-hmm. more than coming out and just you know talking about myself. I want to hear from people. You know, what are your problems? What are your main issues? Are you tired of property taxes going up? Do you really want, you know, what you want good schools, right? You know, these are these common things that we sort of hit on. And and it's really invigorating to walk up and talk to, you know, essentially strangers, but um, getting their input. And it and it, sometimes you get a surprise. You know, I walked up to... Uh, this, uh, I was there to visit an independent woman who was in her 40s, and she wasn't home, but her husband was outside, and he goes, hey, hang on, I want to talk to you, and there was this, uh, and I, you know, you, you stop for a minute, and you go, oh, oh, how's this going to go? And he just looks at you and goes, you know, I'm just, I just can't believe what they've done to our party. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that as well in my area, and so... Just like the the voters themselves have moved from Philly to the suburbs out to York, I think that sentiment is moving as well. So that seems to be keen. You are a unique person, like you said, with your background of video work, video news work. Um, how do you see the um, the impact of our changing news in terms of the politics there? Because we have a death of local papers and local media, unfortunately. Um, York actually... And maybe not now. I don't know. I don't um, has had some really great local reporting over the many years, um, but now we've transitioned more to video and social media, et cetera. Do you what? How do you see the impact of how we consume news, especially in a smaller market like yourself? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, discussion point because I do think. I mean. Hardly anybody under 30 is sitting down for evening newscasts anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, you know, social and digital media and reading things online. I mean, that's really the main way. And I, and I think the kind of the candidates, you know, discover that and kind of, you know, have that back and forth and know who their audience is that they're trying to reach. Because not every not everything you do is trying to reach the same audience on each platform. So, you know, having traditional media and things like that is certainly a different audience than TikTok and Twitter. So, it's, it's definitely go ahead. It's definitely changing. It's definitely the changing the way things are done. It seems like not only does it change the way things are done, but it kind of t- makes it so we don't have a shared reality anymore, right? Like. So you, you got <laughs> yeah. people like your opponent who delve into conspiracy theories. Um, the right. Republican candidate for governor, um, you know, is just conspiracy and far infringed all the time. Whereas like that kind of stuff would be marginalized 20 years ago. And now, you know, that's what people consume because they're not reading their, their local paper, watching our local news. Yeah. Twitter is not real life, right? Like that's the big that's the big thing to realize because you know even we can even look back at in 2020 and realizing people that have had great social momentum just did not perform when it came to the polls. You know, so I you know so it is 
it is a tool, but it just yeah, it's important to remember that it is just a tool. And really the work is done door to door, knocking, talking to neighbors and just being a presence there for people. Well, someone who's knocking door to door is Dan Almany and, and you know obviously. Um and you have some people helping you out as well. And the podcast is called You Should Run and because I think we should be encouraging more people to run for office. Uh, as a final kind of point here, what kind of perspectives do you think we need from future candidates? Like, what do you see missing? And why would you encourage other people to run for office? Maybe not now in 2022 because it's late, but in the in the years to come, why would you be encouraging them? And what perspectives do we need? Yeah, I really think I'm really excited to see what becomes uh, from the young people and, you know, the millennial and Gen Z generation and people younger than myself. Um, not that I, you know, I'm kind of middle-aged, mid-40s. Um, There's nothing wrong with mid-40s. Let's not pretend that's no, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not saying that there is. But, you know, I, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how those younger folks who have grown up in this era of hyper-partisan politics and, you know, lockdowns at school and shootings and just all the crazy stuff, um, how that impacts things moving forward. And, mm-hmm. and we've seen some really, um, there's, I saw something about some kid in Ohio is running for something and, and we have the first Gen Z candidate down in Florida. So I'm interesting to see really how those people, um, uh, continue to step forward and be active and, and start to change things. I, I talked to a, one of the friend, one friend of mine who's been out canvassing with us is in his twenties and he's looking to run for school board, you know, or something like that. So it's, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how those, how, you know, we see a kind of a next generation take control. Cause I do think we're sort of at that tipping point where a lot of our leaders are, you know, with Congress is like what an average age of in their eighties down in DC or mm-hmm. something like that, seventies or eighties. Um, so, so the young blood is, is on its way and I'm excited to see where that happens. And again, that was kind of my major motivation is I, you know, just trying to build a better future for my kid and for everybody else's kids. Yeah. The average age for a school board member is in their mid fifties and nothing wrong with your mid fifties, but there's a lot of perspectives that we're missing when we don't get younger people, especially in those kind of conversations. Uh, so we need to see that. Now, Dan, people need to find out about you. That's why you're talking on the podcast. But where, if people are interested in following you, asking questions, learning more, maybe getting involved, where would you direct them to go to, to find out more? Yeah, the website's danforpa92.com, and so are all the socials, uh, Facebook and Twitter. There is an Instagram and TikTok, but we haven't really delved into those too much. Um, just there's so, so much time in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Twitter's a lot of fun. I'm on there a lot, and uh, you know, Facebook has a different feel. But uh, yeah, everything's at danforpa92.com. Great. Well, thankfully, no other Dan is forward PA92, just you. <laughs> so if you're listening, definitely follow Dan Almany. It's really easy to follow Dan for nine, PA92 on Twitter and PA, danforpa92.com. Uh, you'll learn a lot about York, and maybe you will be inspired to run for office, too. Thanks, Dan, so much, and, and best of luck out there in York, PA. Thank you so much, Tony. Appreciate it.